Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is November 13th, middle of the quarter, and for three weeks now, we have seen oil prices drop, uh, close the last three weeks down for the first time in six months, and opening up again this Monday morning in Asia with Brent down uh, about uh, – Two thirds of a, of a dollar, if you want, uh, but uh, nonetheless, this sort of after a somewhat recovery on Friday, we're seeing prices uh, open weaker today, and and the it would appear the sort of demand outlook uh, is somewhat uh, somber for the new year, and 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 uh, having a dampening effect on prices, particularly the continued uncertain outlook in China. Let's kick off as always Monday morning with Omar Najia, global head of derivatives at BB Energy. Omar, it must be getting more and more difficult to be bullish. Uh, time horizon is everything, of course. But your thoughts this Monday morning? Yeah, I mean, I think basically that. Um... Um, I think this market still has another low to to find. So WTI is trading whatever seventy six something like this. And I think it has a good chance of getting to maybe like uh, you know low seventy one, seventy two, seventy even something like that. Uh, but then basically we're bullish. So I think this is uh, this is so we had a, a massive move uh, up. Uh, and then we had basically this uh, kind of retracement that's uh, that's going on. So the massive move up ended uh, in kind of, uh, you know, September um, at about 95, something like that on WTI. And then basically we've been coming off. So I think I think it has a little bit slower to go and then higher. But then, you know, I also don't think I think the S&P is going to set new all time highs. I, I, I'm not a subscriber to you know, lower and um, and all this uh, kind of doom and gloom, all deflation, I'm quite the other way. So I think inflation, I think uh, the target on the S&P is going to be like 5,900, I think, the target for oil. So what, what what I like about oil is that, you know, yes, we could, we could go from here to, let's call it $71, right? We could go to $71, but the next 10, 20, $30, basically, in my opinion, are going to be to the upside, not to the downside. So I think we're get, getting close to a place where uh, the market will start buying this thing strategically. Same with the S&P. <clears throat> I think that reversal we saw last week or maybe the, the the Friday of the week before, that I think that's very, very significant. And I think, you know, you still have a lot of disbelief uh, and I think that, uh, you know, prices going up, uh, equities going up will hurt a lot of people. And I still don't think that anything to do with, you know, the Fed at 5% is doing anything at all to slow down, um, uh, you know, anything. So lots of companies take Apple, for example, right? They sold 30, 20-year debt at like 1%, right? So if the Fed has its rates at 5%, they're actually, you know, they can actually make money. Right, so this this raising interest rates is stimulatory to big companies, to tiny little companies. They're stuffed because they have to go to a bank and they get very high interest rates, blah blah blah. So so it's it's leading. I think I think basically you know um, inflation. So I think higher uh, across the board. Let's. I mean, we look at China, of course, for always a, a, an indicator as to the strength of the demand market. It was biggest importer in the world of crude oil, and China continues to disappoint. We're seeing consumer prices 
fall uh, to uh, some of the similar lows that we saw during the pandemic in October uh, uh, and refiners in China apparently uh, looking to tell Saudi Arabia they didn't want as much oil as originally thought. Uh, let's welcome to the back to the table Victor Yang, senior analyst at JLC Network Technology. Victor, deep into the fourth quarter now, uh, your thoughts on the outlook for demand in China? Morning, Sean and anyone. Well, we are looking at declining demand from China in the last two months because refineries are cutting their operating rates now. For one reason, domestic demand, fuel demand is declining. It's an off season now, and refining margins have plunged, particularly since the second half of October. Say for independence, the margins were even negative for some time. And oil majors, I mean, state-owned oil companies had tight quota on oil product exports now, and they cannot export as much as they did last year. I mean, the, the same time last year. And so this is now resulting in declining demand from China at the moment. Have the, 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 the Chinese uh, uh, teapots and others well, have the uh, uh, the requested Victor for greater quotas to import more. Was that not a report that was out recently that they want quotas to import more and they've exhausted their existing quotas? What's the outlook on that? Well, T-Post had almost depleted their quota for this year. And so basically they cannot import much more crude in the last two months. But they had apply for some fuel oil culture so they they import more fuel oil for the last two months or the last quarter and it was said that the government had granted them some additional quota on fuel oil but not on crude so basically they need to supplement the feedstock with fuel oil and diluted bitumen in the last two months yeah Jamie Ingram, senior editor at the Middle East Economic Survey. Uh, Jamie, looking at all these tea leaves, if you're in Riyadh or, or Moscow or wherever, the, the decision makers on the next OPEC plus meeting, where do you think they're putting their focus? What, what should they be guided by? Morning, Sean. Um, yeah, certainly, you know, clearly this is not the situation that... Um, guys in Riyadh in, in Vienna were hoping for heading, you know, we've got two weeks to go until uh, the next OPEC plus ministerial meeting. Um, prices have softened quite considerably over the last week or so. Um, never good omens heading in there. Um, I think the focus for everybody's clearly on the Saudi voluntary cuts. And I think they're going to be looking at the situation in China, um, as Victor was, was talking about there. It's, that's quite a bit weaker than people were were perhaps expecting um you know one of the issues at the moment of course is that we're starting to you know front month futures are jet trading january now um q1 data was always expected to be um to see demand soften a lot on on a global scale um so to that extent a bit of price softening is not unexpected and you know frankly it looks as if we'll see the focus more on um curtailing continuing to curtail supply as much as possible um i think that one thing that we are going to see is a bit more of a focus on some of the players in opec who are not complying as much as they could be um and you know 
unsurprisingly, that's perhaps going to be looking at Iraq in particular. Um, Iraq got a bit of a, they managed to boost their southern production considerably with the outages in Kurdistan. Um, and while some of the smaller players in Kurdistan, the IOCs there have managed to start incrementally bringing output back online and up steadily over recent months, um, selling into local markets, that hasn't been accompanied by a comparative decrease in production from southern Iraq's big fields. Um, and so we're seeing Iraq overproduce by quite inconsiderable amounts um, over the summer. And even though for us, um, Iraqi production dropped a little bit last month, it was still about 100,000 barrels a day over their OPEC plus allocations. So they had to come out on Friday and sort of uh, reaffirm their support of OPEC plus. Clearly, they've been coming Indeed, under a yeah. lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. So I think that all of the OPEC secondary sources came out and said that they were overproducing. Uh, we've, we've, we've had them overproducing for quite considerably for quite some time now, but it's pretty much unanimous that they are not complying at the moment. So I think they're going to be copying some flack um, come Vienna in a couple of weeks' time. Omar, we have, as you mentioned in your earlier comment, the the sort of variety you know, the, the different uh, markets at play and whether the equities uh, ha- are still to, to reach new, uh, you know, further highs. And, and the outlook for this year has always been, you know, recession is coming. We're still seeing those headlines on Bloomberg and elsewhere. It's sort of like a broken record at this stage. Yeah. What impact do you think that has on the market, uh, uh, or as, as have any have become immune? Uh, your thoughts as we go into the end of the year, obviously into the new year, does that mantra continue? Does it continue to deliver a dampening impact on the market, the bearish impact? But I mean, it's very interesting. If you look at the Bloomberg model, the Bloomberg model to do with like, um, you know, uh, equities and all the rest of it and forecasting recession is heavily weighted towards the, uh, you know, differential between the five and 10 year uh, treasuries. But to make things simple, this year, I mean, you know, so what they do is they look and they say like in 1980, 1990, 2000, 2008, 2012, whatever, they basically say, if you look back, then the numbers say that, you know, 2023 has nothing to do with 2010 or 2011 or 2012, has nothing to do. I mean, it's 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 like comparing, you know, apples and oranges. So uh, I think the problem uh, that that um, uh, Bloomberg and, and people who, who, who were looking for basically recessions, all the rest of it, is quite simply that, you know, wars are inflationary. You have two now, right? with the US expending major, and the West in general, major amount of money basically in Ukraine and Israel. Um, uh, so that's that's inflationary. If you look at the election, 2024, November, you have an election coming up. I've never seen any government go into an election and say, you know what, we're going to cut spending, we're going to raise taxes. It's not going to happen. So basically, that to me basically means that market, the market is going to continue to be inflationary. Look at their budget deficit. Their budget deficit is ballooning. I was assuming they were going to have a budget deficit in 2023 of $1.7 trillion. Now it's $2.02. So that money, that spending cannot be uh, um, deflationary. The other thing is, what happens to budget deficits, to spending, when you go into a recession? It increases. So if it's already 8.5% of GDP, when when basically the US is at full employment, then if basically you go into recession, that 8.5 is going to balloon. 
it always does in any economy because they start to spend to stimulate and all the rest of it. So that's going to be even more inflationary. So unfortunately, I think that, um, and you can look at treasuries and you can look at the dollar and you can look at the, the kind of inability of the US to curtail spending and live within its means for political reasons. So I, I don't think it's going to get better. I think it's going to get a lot worse. And I think you have the same kind of thing that's slowly going on in, in Europe, definitely in the UK. And unless they kind of, you know, manage that, China itself is, is very interesting because China is clearly deflationary, but you've also got the decoupling between East and West going on. So I wonder how much of that, that deflationary force gets basically shoved on or pushed into, uh, into the West. But in general, I think basically what, what so consensus says, oil price, like, you know, Bloomberg, oil price is going to zero, Bitcoin's going to zero, plus or minus. Uh, S&P is going to zero, recession is going to, and commodities are going to zero, right? So that's one view. That means basically you believe that, you know, deflation, recession, and, um, and that's it. The other, the other camp is, is much more the other way, which means it's, it's a binary kind of market. Inflation means everything goes up. Victor, I mean, looking at the, obviously, the, the outlook for China, it continues to be uh, a softening. Uh, uh, but at the same token, you know, the GDP growth is still forecast to be 5%, if not more this year by many independent analysts, including obviously the Chinese government set that target. When oil prices are in this range, 80 and maybe even lower, obviously Russian oil lower with the, uh, with the price cap and so forth. But China usually get into the market and buy when they see the deal uh, on the table. Do you expect the Chinese to, to do so on this occasion? If we see prices continue to soft, soften, obviously WTI already into the 70s, does that present a buying opportunity? At least in the past, the Chinese have done that. Will they do it on this occasion? Well, not quite soon yet, I think, because well, it is now quite a different moment. And China said earlier this year it aims to keep the country's refining capacity at no more than 1 billion metric ton by 2025. And its refining capacity is already very close to this, to this ceiling. And some independence will be removed. And now competition is getting stronger than before. They had to integrate oil refining and chemical production to enhance their competitiveness. Otherwise, they will be phased out. Not just independent refiners, but also oil majors, I mean, state-owned oil companies too, are trying to integrate their oil refining and chemical production and improve their product mix to be more competitive. And now domestic price are quite weak, I mean, compared with crude. So defining margins are not good now for this moment. And there are some other reasons too. And so the overall situation environment is not so robust at this moment. They might be waiting for a better opportunity. Yes, but demand is going to be rebounding next year because more refineries will still come online next year before the government can remove more. Yes. 
And in that, when you see uh, the import numbers, what do you think they look like? Uh, in, in, you know, for this month, November, December, January, are we closer to ten than twelve? Where, where do you see the import numbers and millions of barrels? We expected to drop from the October level to about eleven million barrels in the last two months, say in November. And in October, we had this number at 11.5 million barrels per day. And it, it already rebounded quite significantly from the previous months from September, because well, sometimes the custom numbers can be quite different because some customs declarations, I mean, it is not, sometimes it's not an actual demand reflection of that month because say, in August, it was very low, and then in September, it jumped to a very low, high level. And then, it, yes, there's sometimes it can fluctuate quite significantly. But in the last two months, because of weakening domestic demand, tight quota, barely finding margins, the number can be about 11 million barrels. 11 million barrels a day of crude oil imports into China over the rest of the year. Jamie, I'm not sure if you followed, uh, but strange story over the weekend in the FT and elsewhere, oil majors, uh, BP Shell, calling on Washington and Brussels to intervene in a LNG dispute where a company known as Venture Global is basically <clears throat> not meeting their contractual obligations to deliver LNG to Europe and instead selling it in the spot market. Uh, I mean, the bigger picture here, China, Europe's uh, vulnerability over the winter with gas uh, supply. But this story in particular, are you, any insights on that? No particular insights on this particular issue, to be honest with you, Sean. I mean, yeah, certainly the... The situation in Europe is much less perilous than people were concerned about going into into winter. And that's, you know, clearly this means that the potential revenues and profits um, on offer for LNG suppliers selling into Europe are less than many would have expected. Um, so the fact that um, suppliers are looking to other districts to see whether they can make greater margins is not particularly surprising. Um, I think, you know, the greater issue that we have to be looking at is um, I think that China um, clearly again on the LNG markets is a big, big player here. There is a lot of concerns that um, rebounding Chinese LNG demand um, this winter would pull a lot of volumes away from Europe. That hasn't happened to the extent that a lot of people were concerned about Chinese demand is still, you know, it's it's outstripping others, um, but it is not as phenomenal as um, perhaps would have been concerned. And so the supplies into Europe are not as um, not as fragile as they would have been otherwise. Um, so generally, this is if you're Europe, if you're living in Europe, this is a good news story, arguably, because um, you don't want Europe pulling in too many excess cargoes of LNG, because that shows that there's a structural deficit on the continent. It's just a strange story where it would appear, at least according to BP and Shell, that uh, contractual obligations are not being met in, in, in major multi-billion dollar uh, contracts, if indeed that is accurate reporting by the FT. 
Let's go to the uh, survey question, which looks a little bit uh, on this uh, question we started this morning with. Oil prices saw a third weekly loss in a row last week for the first time in six months. Will that trend continue this week as the bear got a grip of this market? And uh, as somebody said last week, every bit of news gets a bearish interpretation. Omar, one of your favorite subjects this week, President Biden and the President Xi of China are meeting for the first time in a year. Uh, does that present any direction of travel uh, as sort of a, I mean, the fact they're meeting is is positive, bullish, not bullish? What's your thoughts on that and any expectations? Uh, it depends. Uh, it depends if uh, Biden kind of goes in the right direction and actually shakes Xi Jinping's hand. He could basically go off stage so nobody knows what's going to happen, least of all Biden. But no, I mean, you know, uh, to be serious, I, I, I don't know how much. It, I find it very difficult to believe that Biden can actually sit down and and, and communicate with somebody. Um, I'd I find that incredibly difficult to believe. So. And, well, he has and, translators. Know, yeah, but but you know you, you need somebody to. I mean, if if I mean somebody, these meetings if, are pretty scripted anyway. Ultimately, there's not a lot of off the cuff stuff. Yeah, but 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 for example, they were they were trying to stop China from from you know building having these seven nanometer chips right that Huawei came out with. So that's a total failure. All the stuff to do with Taiwan. So official U.S. policy is Taiwan is part of China. Yet they're arming them, visiting them, having, you know, high-profile meetings. All this kind of stuff. So the double kind of standards, lying straight to your face kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't see what they're going to discuss, right? So whatever Biden says to Xi Jinping, you know, his actions are completely different. So he says, yeah, it's friendship, I don't know what, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes and like sanctions, all this kind of stuff. So I think I think the Chinese are wise to that. I think the Russians are wise to that. I think the whole of the world is wise to that. Look at Gaza and, 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 and Ukraine. You know, war crimes here, no war crimes here. Uh, you know, so, so I think the world is wise to that. I don't think any amount of talking is going to change anything. So I, I don't expect to be, you know, to have like friendly relationships between China and, and the US, between Russia and the West, between the global South and the West. I, th I think it's way, 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 way too late. Victor, your thoughts on the same question, ultimately, in China, how is the, the, this meeting viewed? Is this regarded as a big meeting i mean president chi is going all the way to san francisco i presume he considers it important what what is the view do you think from china regarding this summit well i believe most chinese people will not expect much from this meeting i myself see quite the same with omar well the united states can talk the talk but do you expect them to 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 walk the walk and just look at what they did after the meeting last year. Say so quite different, quite quite the opposite to the what they said in the at the Bali meeting. So, and the antagonism from the United States towards China will not change. We do not expect it to change. Not now, not in the in the near term. So, the, the we are still facing a lot of uncertainty next year, and this is. It's a great challenge to not to not just to China, but also to the world. 
because when the two countries cannot improve their relationship much, well, we are in a lot of difficulty. But the United States and China are actually trending a lot. So this is different from their political relationship. So the two countries can never move away from each other. They need each other. They need to cooperate with each other. But that's that's what is known by the Chinese by the by the Chinese leaders too. Yeah. I heard a very interesting data point over the weekend. Uh, the foreign minister of Singapore, who said that uh, China's trade with the with Asia and with the global South, as it's it's now called, has this year surpassed the its trade with U.S. and Europe. Uh, uh, for the first time, the 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 scale of of trade uh, that it has. I mean that this dependency, this interdependency with Europe and the United States, obviously still very big markets for China. But the growing, uh, obviously, relevance of the global South. Does that trend line continue? Do you think? Obviously, the politics would indicate yes. Your thoughts on that, Victor? Yes, well, I think this trend will continue because China has very good relationship with these countries and this can foster their trade. So quite different to the United States. So when the United States government is in the middle of their cooperation, it's very difficult. Say for the, the international flights between the United States and China, it's not until recently, this week, that they have added another light for a long time, for months, they did not increase any international flights between the two countries. That's because of the government. So it's very difficult when the government is now is trying to sanction this country, sanction that one, and it may sometimes make cooperation difficult. Yes, that's for sure. And just last question, uh, Victor, as we haven't had you for on with us for a while, the yeah. terrible events happening in Gaza and Palestine does China, do you think, expect China to bring any diplomatic muscle to help resolve this? Or does China think, look at this as America's problem? Well, China is calling for ceasefire. Yes. And is now trying to have people there and trying to bring its people back from that strip. So for now, First, it needs to ensure Chinese people's safety in that street, and then it's trying to help to, to provide relief to that region. And at the same time, it's is now trying to, well, call for the peace, call for peace between these. But not and, really not really being too active. I mean, are, are behind the scenes maybe influencing Iran not to get involved? or? Well, I don't see getting quite actively involved yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's go to the final uh, survey result and give Jamie the last word here. Um, so, yes, uh, the trend will continue, the bearish trend going into the OPEC meeting, Jamie. <clears throat> on the cards of, you know, what are the options on the table? I think there's, there, there's general expectation, at least a growing, Jamie, that uh, Saudi will extend its current unilateral supply cuts into the new year. I don't know if that's a, a false perception, but it seems to be growing. I'm wondering, is that enough? Are there any other 
tightening. I mean, the, we've heard little murmurs from the the, the Minister of Energy in Saudi Arabia, uh, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, recently sort of saying the market, the speculators are getting it wrong. They're, you know, in the past when he's done that, he's kind of come out with some bazookas and shock the the shorts, as he calls them, makes them ouching. Your thoughts on on Jamie? Is there any other tools in the box here other than a rollover of the Saudi unilateral cut? Yes, you say, Sean, uh, the Saudi minister does like his surprises. Uh, likes to spring them on the market in Vienna. Um, I think that, you know, as you kind of hinted at, a rollover of the Saudi voluntary cuts is kind of the baseline. Um, if that doesn't happen, then we'll probably see prices drop significantly. Um, so we've got to be looking away from that. As I also said earlier, you know, we'll see, you know, a lot of chat, I think, on how committed all the countries are. OPEC might be dragged up uh, Iraq might be dragged up and told to express very fulsomely how committed it is and that it will be um, complying for its its past sins and cutting production further. Um, one of the big issues that we're going to see at this meeting is kind of fully assessing the um, production allocations for the African cohort in, in OPEC. Um, so the likes of Nigeria, Angola, they were basically told, you know, they signed up to provisional um allocations for next year and then we're told to go away and prove that these are valid um frankly they've kind of disappointed on that front in general i would say that one thing that might be on the cards is potentially a further downgrading of some of those um, production allocations for the likes of angola and nigeria who've really struggled to even live up to those reduced targets um, over the last four or five months yeah that would be i suppose that you could get some additional whether through those mechanisms you mentioned, or maybe even the likes of UAE, that would joining a voluntary framework. Yeah, I mean the UAE is they were the big winners last time around. They got their two hundred thousand barrel a day um, increase to their allocation, but that's something that they fought long and hard for. So it will be that's something that will be very much the last thing they want to do is give up on that. Oh, so it could be absolutely. a bit of a bit of a fight to get to claw yeah. that away. It could be uh, certainly a more um, challenging meeting than maybe one was expecting a few weeks ago, never mind the geopolitics of everything that's obviously the backdrop there as well. And well, hopefully maybe by then somehow this terrible tragedy in Palestine has found some kind of solution unlikely but we'll see brent crude oil trading this morning down 50 cents uh 80 91 and wti at 76.63 so softening will that softening continue through the week this room thinks it will uh let's wrap it up there and thank you omar najia global head of derivatives at bb energy bb energy had a big news over the weekend one what is it uh the rights to ship was it Venezuelan crude or no Guyana Guyana crude wasn't it Guyana crude so congrats uh, Omar to you and your all of your colleagues there um, and uh, thank you to Jamie Ingram in London and of course Victor Yang in China really appreciate your insights this morning have a great week and catch up with you all soon again all the best.